Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ sermon series. Bonjour, bienvenue la série de sermons de Harrisburg Brethren in Christ, where our vision is to be a thriving, diverse, urban church sharing Christ's love and serving the needs of our local and global communities. Here's an example of what you'll hear. If God was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, he's powerful enough to break these chains of addiction on me. He's powerful enough to break the generational curses in my family. He is powerful enough to stop the senseless violence in Harrisburg. I'm telling you this morning the incredible truth that Jesus Christ is crazy about you. Helping each other to experience God's love, God's power, God's healing. Helping to change one another's lives. Church can continue to be a place, or church can continue to become a people, my people. Let's pray. And now here's this week's sermon. Please check it out. God bless you and take care. Um, thank you so much for your donations. Thank you so much for your monies. Thank you so much for your grace. Um, we had a goal of $10,000, and we've already passed that goal of raising $10,000 in one night, which is amazing. Um, we hope to get a little bit more. There's still a couple people who still owe me money. You owe Jesus. Don't forget. My Google spreadsheet won't forget either. Um, but also, um, just it's, it's a beautiful night. And if it's something you've never been a part of, please plan to come next year. It's a night of celebration. It's a night for our kids to see that you know this church is not only behind them through prayers and love, but that we're willing to support them. And, and it, it's really lost on me. I was talking to a good friend. He's like, you raised $10,000 in one night. I was like, yes, I guess we did, you know? And that is as much of a miracle of God as a miracle of you all. So I just want to express my deep thanks. Um, thanks to Pastor Linda. I know a lot of you enjoyed that spaghetti sauce. Just put a lot of labor in there. Um, Chuck Thompson was also here cooking everything else. Um, Andy and Kathy Breekner, and as well as Steve Thompson, helped our checkout go smoothly, probably the smoothest it ever went. I would have been out of here by 9.30, which would have been a record, but then I lost my keys. And by lost my keys, I mean my daughters put it somewhere I couldn't find. Um, so I got two hours in here by myself, which is a very exciting thing. I'd like to invite you all to do that sometime. Um, but after we found our keys the next day, took a family road trip, um, I was really able to just sit and dwell on how amazing it is that we have this church. Um, the second thing is my original plan actually this morning was the next section in 1 John talks about Antichrist. And for a lot of our understanding of Antichrist, we um, falsely just jump to the end. And we look for this great figure that we kind of have the shadowing thing about. But what John was talking about is people who are against Christ. People who are living now and people who are working against the kingdom. And I really wanted to focus this morning on the persecuted church. Um, Christianity Today in their, their monthly magazine released 50 countries that right now Christians are being killed, Christians are suffering, Christians are, are, are dying for their faith for their belief in Jesus Christ, you know? So we're not going to do that. You know, we didn't think we had enough time to cover all that. And then I remember at 9 o'clock, a little late, that the kids are also in the service, so I figured we'll do that next time. Um, I'd like to invite you, um, if you need a link, I can send you the link to the article, um, or I can give you my article. But I'd like to invite you, you know, in the past we've, we've done crazy stuff like read the Sermon on the Mount every week and stuff like that. But I'd like to invite you to think of those countries. You know, a lot of times I think the greatest gift we have in our Christianity is not when we're asking and petitioning God on our behalf, but when we're doing it for others. And there's people around the world, sisters and brothers, who are dying right now. You know, we got our own worries but God bless us, we're not being killed for saying I believe in Jesus. So just want to remind you and invite you and challenge you to maybe think of these brothers and sisters. Maybe pick up one country a week and pray for them as well. Amen? 
I'd like to continue now by actually getting to the sermon we have this morning. Um, One of my favorite prayers in all of the Bible, one of the ones that I try to say pretty much every time I open up the scriptures is Psalm 119.18. There the psalmist writes, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. So that's my prayer for us all this morning, that as we open the scriptures together, the Lord will remove our blinders, because we have them, that the Lord will open our hearts, open our minds, and open our lives, and as we gather here this morning, we can gather expecting, expecting, expecting to see wonderful truths in his word. Amen? The passage we'll be looking at um, this morning is found in Luke, Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45. If you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. Um, We'll have them up here in the front. But in this passage, we essentially hear Jesus saying this, You will be known by your fruit, which comes from your heart, for your heart will always give you away. You will be known by your fruit, which comes from your heart, for your heart will always give you away. This reminds me of one of my favorite stories. Growing up, I loved going to camp in the summer. Camp was a monastery for me away from home. It was a place where I could go and unplug from my world and renew my focus and dependence on God. As a city kid, the only stars I saw were smog. Um, The only trees I saw were plastic. So one of the things I loved about summer camp is I got to see the trees are real. And it's funny because some people I would meet are terrified of cities. And I was just like, cities have people. The wilderness has animals. This doesn't make sense to me that you're scared of people. But whenever I go to camp, the first couple of years, I was terrified of the wilderness. Um, but more than that, though, I loved camp because it was served so much as a vehicle for my growth, for my spiritual growth. And inevitably, as I grew from camper to counselor, I grew in wanting to give back. I grew in wanting to serve. I grew in wanting to help other people grow as I was helped to grow. During college, though, I actually switched camps, and this was a big deal. At the request of my freshman year roommate, uh, my best friend Mike, I decided to work at his camp. It was a summer day camp in Long Island, and that summer um, I decided on my own accord to be a counselor for the minis, the six to eight-year-olds that everyone seemed to dread. Now, it was not only a new camp, but before this I had only worked with teenagers, so I was completely out of my comfort zone. But I was like, you know what, I got this, six to eight-year-olds, not a big deal. But the thing is, every time I was going through orientation that week, every time I met someone, they were very, very excited that I was new to the staff. And they're just like, oh, we're so excited to have you. What will you be doing? I'd say minis. They'd be like, oh, God bless you. Um, it was like every single person I met became my grandmother. I was just like, bless his heart, you know. So anyway, I was trying to get over all of that. But then the more and more I heard it, I started to realize that maybe this summer I was going to get a lot of Chuckies. And a lot of evil princesses. If you're a millennial, you don't know who Chucky is, you can Google it later. What I found, though, it wasn't even the evil princesses that got me. It was the evil princes, but that's another story. Um, But, you know, I'm cool, you know, so I try to play it cool. My first morning, I was a bit nervous, but I tried to play it off. I wonder if I had bitten off more than I could chew, but I was like, don't think about it. Just keep moving. Um, I wonder if I had wandered too far out of my comfort zone. I was getting more and more lost in my thoughts, even as the kids and and even as I started introducing myself to all these new kids. And then my buddy Nick showed up. If I was nervous, Nick was terrified. It was the first day of his first year at camp. He knew no one and he was too scared to even say more than hello. Upon noticing this, I walked over, I stuck out my hand and I said hello. And that was the start to our summer of fun. One of the first things we noticed is that we both happened to be wearing the exact same Nike t-shirt. And that was enough to help narrow the gap. I said something like, hey, nice t-shirt. 
He looked up that mirror. He replied, yours is good, but mine is better. At this, we both laughed. I appreciated that he was seven years old. And not only did he appreciate me coming over and saying hello, but he had wit. I like wit. I don't remember all we did that summer, but what I do remember is that no matter where we went or what we did, Nick was like my shadow. He even became my de facto co-counselor, but in a good way, not the annoying way. See, Nick would follow the instructions, which parents, counselors, you love that. Um, but he would always make sure everyone else was having fun. I've never seen a seven-year-old do this. That was like his job. He would always make sure everyone else was having fun. So it was fun to watch him kind of a shell and, and just learning and, and serving other people. You know, as the night, though, um, at the end of every two-week session, we had these family nights. And for the family nights, we would have a barbecue. We'd have a whole program to highlight all the things we were doing. And we'd have activities and all this fun stuff, you know. But as the night progressed during this family night, I noticed that Nick was nowhere to be found. And to be honest, it was a bit of a bummer. Because I was looking forward to telling my buddy's parents how great of a camper and how good of a leader the little guy had been. You know, some kids, it's like you meet their parents and you're just like, got to say something nice. You know, I had one day I was like, oh, I'm going to gush about this kid. And they didn't show up, right? About halfway through dinner, after I made sure all of our kids and families had gotten dinner and were assured of where to go next for the program, I made my way across the commons to grab some dinner. As I walked up, I noticed one mother who looked lost. I mean, completely lost. She seemed to be looking for someone and growing exasperated over not finding whoever this person was. So I walked over, stuck out my hand, and I introduced myself. At this, I saw one of the funniest looks I've ever received from anyone. Relief for finding Hank, and then a bit of confusion. We laughed at how Nick said, oh, you'll know to find Hank real easy. He has the coolest hair, I did, and he's the best counselor ever, I was. I'm also fairly sure Nick's mom had no clue in any way that I was black. And then I realized in talking to her that sometimes kids teach us the most beautiful things. Right? For him, all that mattered was this was a great counselor who has great hair. And that was good enough. It made me a little hard to find. But as we headed over to grab from dinner, I heard the familiar, Hank! I turned and Nick was making a beeline towards me. When he got there, he jumped into my arms and he was like, hey, Hank, we couldn't find you. Then he turned to his mom and said, hey, mom, this is Hank. He's the best counselor in the world. Told you. At this, I saw another look in Nick's mom's eyes. She looked at me as if she had known me all along. And she did because she knew me through Nick's stories and recaps of his day. She knew me by my fruit, which came from my heart, for my heart had given me away. In Luke 6, 43 to 45, um, Andrew, can you please put it up? In Luke 6, 43 to 45, we read, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from the thorn bushes or... Grapes from the briars, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Do you hear Jesus this morning? He said to his disciples then, he says to us today, You will be known by your fruit, which comes from your heart, for your heart will always give you away. Jesus begins by saying that each tree is recognized by its own fruit. Nothing revolutionary or too difficult to understand. If I see an apple tree, I expect apples. If I see an orange tree, I expect oranges. Nothing too crazy here. He starts with this common knowledge that everyone in his audience would easily accept as true. Good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees are unfit and they bear bad fruit. Again, nothing that mind-blowing, right? If it's a good, healthy tree, we get fruit. If it's not a good, healthy tree, we don't get fruit. Nothing that mind-blowing. 
I guess everyone in the audience would just nod in agreement. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this guy's supposed to be deep, but I get this. It's pretty easy. One of the things that I love about Jesus, one of the things I think makes Jesus such a great teacher is that he appeals to so many people because he often starts teaching at a place where everyone can have a common understanding. He starts teaching with something so basic that anyone can get it, and then he takes the audience to truth, to the place where God desires them to be. Furthermore, by highlighting that people don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars, Jesus continues with common sense accepted knowledge, right? If you see a thorn bush, you're not going to be like, let's go pick in it for some figs, right? Again, nothing mind-blowing. Jesus moves, though, from common sense to highlighting something that was very common in that culture. See, figs and grapes were often commonly cultivated together in ancient Palestine. The thorns and the thistles were not only trouble for farmers, but they were also linked throughout the Hebrew scriptures, like in Genesis 3 at the fall or Isaiah 5. And one of the other things that's real, real interesting is that Jesus brings up this example time and time again. You know, as Christians, we like to think we're so separated from the world and we want nothing to do with the world. But Jesus happens to remind us that, you know what? The wheat and the tares grow together. And here he reminds the people in ancient Palestine that the figs and the grapes also grow together. So your job is to love, not figure out who's in and who's out. Amen? So Jesus uses commonly accepted Old Testament themes, though, to shed new light. For example, fruit is often used in reference to morality. Like in Proverbs 1, 30 and 31, where we read, Since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, they will eat fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. Or in Isaiah 3.10, where we read, Tell the righteous it will be well with them, for they will enjoy the fruit of their deeds. The scriptures use fruit in reference to morality, and in our passage today, that's the same thing Jesus does. He starts with a concept deeply and readily understood by his audience, and then he takes them to where God desires them to be. Jesus continues by teaching that each person is recognized by his own heart, or by her own heart, and that the inner heart is what makes the outward person. You know, the ancients believed that the heart is the inner being of the individual. They believed that your heart was where your attitudes were formed, but it's also where your values come from and where they were stored. In a greater context of what Jesus is teaching in Luke 6, his audience can hear Jesus as he says this, A good heart, a good heart will reveal itself as holy in word and deed. A good heart, a good heart will produce love for enemies. A good heart... A good heart will produce a non-condemning attitude, and a good heart will always produce repentance. This is what Jesus' audience heard. Is that what you hear this morning? In the greater context of what Jesus is teaching here in Luke 6, his audience can also hear him when he says this, A bad heart, a bad heart will reveal itself as evil, despite our, our paltry attempts to conceal it. A bad heart, a bad heart will produce hate. A bad heart... A bad heart will produce critical judgment of others, and a bad heart will produce doubts and wickedness. This is what Jesus' audience would have heard. Is this what you hear this morning? You know, a deeper look at the verse in Jesus' passage here, a further look with the Greek that it was written in, might pronounce, you know, uh, 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 I say better than the IIV, but I'm humble. Um, but a better interpretation might read something like this. A good person, out of the good treasure of the heart, brings forth that which is good. And an evil person out of the evil treasure of the heart brings forth that which is evil. For the abundance of the heart of a person is what the mouth speaks. You know, there's two words in Greek that I believe is really helpful to flesh out this passage. The first one looks like thesaurus, but it's really thesaurus. And what it means basically is treasure chest. So the idea here is it's a place, your heart is a place where the good and precious things are laid up. It's a place where you have your valuables, a place where you have a storehouse of your treasury. The idea is that our hearts should be our thesaurus, 
Our hearts should be the place where we store up the things of God. Our hearts should be the place where we keep and safeguard the things that God values. Our hearts should be the place where that makes up who we are on the outside. But our hearts should also be the place where we're filled up more and more with Christ every single day. Second key word here is parousima. Parousima just means abundance. So what Jesus is saying for the parousima, for the abundance of your heart, is what your mouth speaks. So the idea here is what you keep filling up is what's going to ooze out. You insert more of Jesus and more of the Holy Spirit, that's what oozes out. But if you insert more of yourself or more of your world or more of the things that so easily can find us, that's what also oozes out in abundance. Jesus is saying it's not just about what we do. No, it's also about what we say. And I think one thing I've missed for this passage for years is that Jesus is speaking to his followers. Jesus is talking to Christians, and he's calling us out. He's saying our actions can mask our true feelings or try to hide our own heart, but often our words cannot. See, this is important because in our culture, what do we say? We say what? Actions be louder than words. But if we're honest, for many of us, especially we the Christians, we know how to go on autopilot with our actions, don't we? If we're honest, for many of us, we know how to act in a certain way or what actions we want everyone else to see. This is what happens to we the Christians, and I think Jesus knows this. That's why he's calling us out. Jesus knows this trapping for we, his followers. So here in this passage, he says, it's about what you say. It's about what oozes out. Your words still matter a whole lot. You might go on autopilot with your actions, but do you really love like I call you to love? You might go on work and then have the actions that you want everyone else to see, but I see you. What oozes out is what matters. To hear Jesus' simple message this, after, this morning, you will be known by your fruit which comes from your heart, for your heart will always give you away. So then the question is, how do we bear this good fruit? Very easy. One, stay attached to Jesus the vine. If Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, it is apart from him we can do nothing. But remaining in him, we can bear much fruit. So my first question for you this morning is, how are you keeping attached to the vine? No branch survives when it's disconnected. No disconnected branch bears fruit. So the question again, sisters and brothers, is how are you keeping attached to the vine? You know, Shell and I, sometimes we have these busy weeks like this past week where we're just like two ships in the middle of the night. But one of the things we've learned ever since we were dating is that every single day, no matter how busy it is, we spend at least five minutes just looking at each other, sitting at the dinner table and saying, how are you doing? How was your day? And I've learned that to be not only helpful in my marriage, but it's taught me something about my relationship with God as well. We have to stay attached to the vine, and we have to be intentional about staying attached to the vine. Because if we're not attached from the vine, if we're cut off from the vine, we will die. We will not bear fruit. How are you, sisters and brothers, staying attached to the vine in your lives? Number two, we have to guard our hearts. According to Jesus here, your heart is the inward that makes up the outward. Therefore, we do well to guard it. Amen? We would do well to be intentional and conscious about what we store up in our hearts abundantly. We would do well to value the things that God values. And we can do all this by guarding our hearts. So the next question is, what are you do intentionally storing up in your heart? Is it the things that God values? Is it how God has been faithful? Is it how God has been kind? Is it how God has been compassionate? Is it how God has been true? Is it how God has been loving? What are you storing up in your heart? 
You know, we've been learning about the Ten Commandments. Are you stirring up those in your heart? Last year, a couple of us read Sermon on the Mount every week. Are you stirring up those in your heart? Because here's the thing. What we store up in our hearts is only what oozes out. So if you want to serve God and be attached to the vine, not only do you have to stay connected, you have to listen, you have to heed, you have to submit. Because when you know what he asks of you, only then can you walk in them. And you won't know what he asks of you if you don't take the time to get to know it. What are you storing up in your heart? What are you intentionally putting in your heart? Number three, and this is probably my favorite one, teach and store up love in your heart and not hate. Live in love like Christ lived and loved. It's hard, but it's also simple. It's simple if we make it our goal each day. If you make it your goal right now, pledge before God, you know what, in every word, I want to live in love like Christ. In every action, I want to live in love like Christ. In every thought, I want to live in love like Christ. In every interaction, whether it's with my family and people I love or people I just bump on the street, I want to live and love like Christ. It's about our daily walk. So the question then becomes, how are you living and loving like Christ? What do you need to do to live and love like Christ in your thoughts, in your actions, in your words, in your deeds? How are you living and loving like Christ? And four is this. Always remember that those who have experienced God's mercy in their hearts will show God's mercy in their lives. Forgive because you have been forgiven. Give grace because you have been given grace. Be compassionate because you have known God's compassion. Be merciful for you have received mercy. You know, one of the things I have friends who um, do this and I love it and I started doing this, but this morning a bunch of us in this room can tell you, you know, God loves you. God is faithful. God is merciful. God is compassionate. But one of the things that's really struck me is that when you look in the Old Testament, God is so intentional that people not only honor him, but they make these covenants and they do something physical to help them remember. See, I think God knows this truth about us. We may know, but we forget. We may know that God loves us, but we don't always feel it. We may know that God is merciful, but we don't always experience that mercy. So he asks people to always do something physical. I have friends who have a journal. They call it a prayer journal. Maybe some of you have that. And what they write in that prayer journal is all the different ways that God has come through for them, all the different ways that God has answered their prayer. So maybe that's something you can do about storing up treasures in your heart. Just write your little prayers down. Write the way how God is answering them. But the other thing that's really cool, I have another friend who says, no, it's not just about putting the prayer request down. It's also about putting all the ways you've seen God move in your life. All the ways you've seen God just come through. All the ways you've seen God be merciful, be compassionate, be loving, be gracious. Write all of those down. And that's what my third friend said is like, how cool is it? When I don't feel like God loves me, I can turn to this thing and open this book and see all the ways God has loved me. When I forget that God is merciful, I can open this book and read this thing and see all the ways God has been merciful. And I had a fourth friend that said this, said, how amazing would it be on the day of your kids, your grandkids' baptism, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 50 years from now, whatever that day comes, how amazing would it be for every single grandkid if you can give them a gift of that journal? Where they can say, I believe in Jesus. I don't know what this means, but I'm walking in it. But you can give them this physical gift and you can say, this is all the way that God has come through for me for 10 years, for 20 years, for 30 years, for 40 years. Because we may know God is loving, but we forget. 
We may know God is merciful, but we don't hold on to it. So if the Old Testament people had covenants that they can make, we need to think about ways that we can write some of these things down because it is our job to teach and pass on the faith. And teaching and passing on the faith isn't just telling our kids Jesus loves them because he does. It's also about showing our kids how Jesus has loved you. How Jesus has loved me. How Jesus has surprised you. How Jesus has surprised me. Amen? Amen. Sisters and brothers, we have these blessed opportunities to forgive in a world that needs forgiveness. To give grace in a world that needs grace. To be compassionate in a world that's dying for compassion. Sisters and brothers, we have the opportunity to be merciful. You and you and you and me. We have the opportunity to be merciful because we have received mercy. So then this week, this day, this hour, how are you going to show forgiveness? How are you going to show mercy? How are you going to show grace? How are you going to show love? How and how soon? Because our world needs it. Our world needs it. Our world needs it keep saying this, and I feel the need to always say this. We have to remember that we, the church, we, the Christians, Jesus is up in heaven getting heaven ready for us. And I love the thought of that. Heaven's not this automatic thing. It's something he's crafting with his own hands for you. But while Jesus is working on heaven and getting ready for heaven to come down, he's left two things for this entire world. He's left the Holy Spirit, but he's left you, the church. He's left you, the church. You are the light of the world. So how are you going to show love this week? How are you going to show Jesus his compassion, Jesus his mercy, Jesus his grace? I started off talking about my buddy Nick. I shared about how through our friendship we shared a connection that afforded me the chance to show my heart. I also shared about how his mother could not picture what I looked like. However, when we met, she got a chance to recognize me as she heard and saw my heart in person. She knew me by my fruit, which came from my heart, for my heart had already given me away. You know, as Christians, we have a relationship with Jesus. We have a connection that affords us the chance to show the world our hearts. This unbelieving world can know the heart of God by knowing us. You know, though our world cannot picture Jesus, instead of complaining about it, let us realize that they may not know what Christ looks like, but in us, in you, and you, and you, and me, in us, they may recognize Jesus. They may hear Jesus. They may feel Jesus. They may experience Jesus. They may see Jesus. Our heart will always give us away. But the blessing of that is our heart will also lead other people to Christ. Our lives bear our fruit. Our mouth speaks of what we're filled up with. So fill up with Christ. Fill up with Christ. Fill up with Christ. Live to share your heart with, you, with the world. Live to share your Christ with the world. It worked with Nick and his mom. But I'm convinced 15 years later, it can work with the people in your everyday scenes. Sisters and brothers, be known by your fruit, which comes from your heart, for your heart will always give you away. Be known by your fruit, which comes from your heart, for your heart will always give you away. I'd like to invite Randy and Marilyn up as we prepare for the last song. I'm just going to pray real quick as they come up and get ready. Um, dear God, we thank you so much for this simple message. We pray now that we can hold on to it. Lord, help us to be attached to you. Lord, help us to learn the things of you and store it in our hearts. Help us to live and love like you. Help us to, to experience and show the world what your love looks like. So, Lord, fill us up with more of your son. Fill us up with more of you. Give us more of you so that we can ooze out your love to this world. 
Lord, let us be known by our fruit, which comes from our heart, because we're willing to give it away for your glory. In your holy and precious name, amen. I'd like to invite the intercessors up as well. hymn we're about to sing was written in the late 1700s by a man who was a slave captain, and his life was miraculously turned around. Mr. John Newton, Amazing Grace. Holy Spirit, fill us up with more of you. Father God, capture us with your love and let us never, never let go. And Jesus, our Christ, help us to know who you are. Help us to be filled up so much of you that it oozes out your love for this world. God, help us to be known by our heart. Help us to be known by our fruit. Help us to give away and lead people to you and for your glory. For your kingdom come, for your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In your name we pray, amen. God bless you all.